Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an indie record label. Today is exciting because it's the start of a new series within the podcast called Release Roadmap, where we take an album that is loved and and, and um, admired, and we go behind the scenes and we talk to the people who helped release that record, who built the album campaign around that album. Today's episode is with Sufjan Stevens and his latest record, The Ascension, which released in September of 2020. And I get to talk with John and Alyssa of Asthmatic Kitty Records, that's Sufjan's label, and we talk about when they first heard the record, um, a year before its release, uh, when they picked the release date, how they picked the release date, how they picked the singles, and how they dealt with the pandemic that popped up in the middle of the campaign or the middle of their planning. So that's what this episode is about. I'm so excited for you to hear it. We have another episode uh, in this series coming up next week as well. Um, this was such a great interview. I was so honored to talk with these guys and to learn from them. And I, I really, I'm really excited for you to hear it because I'm, I'm excited for this opportunity to pull back the curtain because I know we as smaller labels working on less anticipated releases um, are always trying to and come up with some new ideas and figure out how the pros do it. And it's just so nice to uh, have the generosity of these people to share their experiences and to pull back the curtain and let us see behind the scenes. Now, listen, if you are a, um, an independent musician or an independent record label and you are, you know, releasing your own music and or are building an album campaign, um, can you hear that rain behind me, by the way? It's pouring right now outside the studio and gosh, it's just going crazy. Um, if you are an independent record label, um, I have a free resource you can download. It's called a release roadmap. And basically it's this blank template that you can fill in your own information to help you make sure that your releases on your label or as an independent artist, that you're hitting these mile markers or these key result areas. You can get a copy of this uh, free release roadmap for yourself by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash roadmap. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash roadmap. I hope you enjoy this interview. Okay, here's the here's the purpose of this episode. Not all of us will have the privilege of releasing one of the biggest indie records of the year, but my objective is that there may be principles and practical tips that our listeners can take away from this conversation and apply to their own releases, even if our own releases aren't as widely anticipated as say, you know, a Sufian record or, or a Phoebe Bridgers record. So right. does that sound, does that sound cool? Is that, are you guys on board? Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. So we're talking today, let's do a little introduction here for our, our folks at home. Uh, we're talking, now this is a few months after the release, which we'll get into, but we've got John Beeler, who's the label manager of Asthmatic Kitty, as well as Alyssa DeHayes, a music publicist with Riot Act Media. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Although in, in this context, I'm working as a project manager at Asthmatic Kitty. So I didn't do any any press on the album. Oh, okay. Okay. A project manager. Yeah. Sorry, I should have. I'm going to fire my producer. Hold on a sec. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's, and that would make sense. Your email too. I, I, I yeah. noticed that. My well, bad. I, I, I don't make it easy for anyone because I, I work a bunch of jobs. So I know. And, and you have <laughs> your own label, Arrowhawk, which is very yep. well loved. Um, okay, let's bring everyone back to the album's infancy. John, I, I, w 
And to give everyone some listening context, first of all, the album came out September 25th, 2020. So, you know, we're going to have people, you know, we're, we're going to try to keep this evergreen and applicable for, for people who want to learn releasing records. Um, but what we're talking a couple months after the release, I remember you told me earlier this year that you were given the album, John, at the end of 2019. Is that correct? Yeah, it was incomplete. And we, we got a, like a pre, like a final pre-master somewhere around the beginning of February. Oh, I see. So we, you know, so we started planning the record at the end of 2019. And, uh, like we didn't know we were going to be releasing a Sufian record this year until the end of 2019. And at that point, um, we got, we got an early version of the record and, then by February 3rd, we had final, right around beginning, middle of February, we had final pre-master audio. Oh, I'm curious from the label standpoint, what goes through your head when you when you first hear a record from an artist on your label? Because knowing that, you know, the MP3s that, will, that you're listening to are going to play such a big role in your life and your job for the next year or so, what goes through your head when you first hear a record delivered from, a, from an artist? Uh, Alyssa, you you get that too. Maybe you want to answer that question first, and then I can answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, maybe a, a funny answer, but like oftentimes it's nothing because I try to listen with a blank slate, oh, and right. I try to I try to listen. Um, I try a lot to remove myself from that process and just listen instead of immediately first listen being like oh, well, this should be the single and we should change up that track order. And, oh, yeah. you could do a really good video for that. Maybe, maybe we should call uh, Susan for that video. Like, yeah. like I, I often really try to save that first listen for a time when I'm not doing anything and can put on real headphones and just really like deep listen. Yeah. I love that. Because I'm exactly the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I... I got a I got a record from an artist and I go into fanboy mode hard. Like I it's one of my favorite parts of my job is hearing music early and it's such an honor and I just fan out. Like the first time I get music from even if it's like an artist texting me an early version of a song, I'm like, I've got to listen to this right now. Like whatever <laughs> I'm doing, I stop. You know, like if I'm cooking dinner or writing an email, it's just I stop and I listen and I just fan out. Uh, so that's always my first response is just excitement and and just a very fan-oriented response. But like Alyssa, I'm not thinking about the logistics or anything like that. That that comes later. But that first res- that first listen is always just like, I'm ready to buy the t-shirt. <laughs> it's always just pure pure fan mode for me. Do you guys like to be involved in that, in the, you know, the mixing uh, or sequencing process, or do you prefer to hear it uh, as the artist completely intends it to be? John, you want to go for that one? Sure. Um, Asthmatic Kitty over the years has worked with, like everyone that we've had on our label is, has enough experience with recording that what, I end up hearing it's usually pretty close to final and mastering is just kind of that spit and shine sure. and specification for format. So, so I, 
yeah, I've never ever really gotten in the middle of like, oh, this song shouldn't be on the record or anything like that. And, yeah. You know, this is a good example where I kind of knew what was coming from Sufin was going to be a double LP. And, and before I heard it, there's all kinds of financial implications to that. And I was prepared to like, okay, let's try and trim this down a little bit. But the second I heard it, and it, there was no trimming. Like it, it was a fully complete record. And to take any song out at all, like I knew it the first time I, I heard through the whole record. So, so I guess there is sometimes a thought of uh, interrupting the process, but as an artist oriented and artist owned label, it's really important to, to let the artist's vision fulfill itself in the way that they imagine it with, you know, my job is to bring the pragmatic considerations and to offer those options and let them decide. So sure. when there's a double LP, it's like there are implications to that. And we can talk about that down the road. But. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's also just kind of an arc, archaic uh stereotype of of record labels you know saying you need to go back and write another hit song or <laughs> we just don't see that in our world very much yeah did the label or or the artist have fall 2020 earmarked for a release prior to receiving the record like what type of uh going back to the end of, of 2019 when did you start to imagine when when this would come out yeah, that, uh, by the way, I'm hearing a lot of, you can edit this part out. I'm hearing a lot of weird scraping. I don't know if, um, Oh, it's not it? coming in. We don't have it in the recording. Okay. Oh, okay. Good. No. Okay. That's just somebody trying uh, to get into your office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's the, the Halloween ghost. <laughs> um, I, uh, received the record at the end of 2019 and, and we wanted to make sure that this release had every opportunity, that we did everything right. This was, of course, pre-pandemic, mm -hmm. so things changed, but the, that, ethos, that ethos stayed the same. What mistakes can we not make? How can we release this as perfectly as we can? And uh, so, so part of that is just giving retailers and record stores and our distributor enough time to pitch it, to slate it, to think about it themselves. So that was really important. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we'd always kind of, we'd always anticipated anywhere from six months to a year. And then, of course, as you know, Scott, there's just the logistical implications of pressing vinyl. Sure. Where if you're going to press X amount of vinyl, if you're going to do a run of 500 or 1,000, it's still two months. Yeah, sure. If you're going to do tens of thousands of records as we did, you really have to have slated that out. Yeah, yeah. We'll get into that. And I, and I imagine, and I know that the pandemic has affected production again even though production was getting to a point where it was getting a little bit better but i think it's gotten um, tough again when was the release date uh september 25th 2020 uh, when was that established or at least penciled in like how far back from that date i think around february like mid to yeah right around when we got final audio and uh is when we started working towards september 25th and Part of that was just a conversation with the distributor, secretly distribution, mm -hmm. as to um, what what date would be ideal and what's coming out on what date and so forth. So right, right, yeah. and, so, yeah. and, and checking that there's nothing that would be competing with that date or or that you're yeah. stepping on anyone's toes. 
Uh, Alyssa, I'm curious from from your experience, what does picking a release date look like? I I sometimes wonder if I overthink the importance of a release date. How important is it and how strategic should labels be at at picking a release date? Oh, that's that's a big answer. Um, (laughs) There's so many different factors in play. You know, I, I often try to approach things from when can things be done by? And Mm. I usually make that my starting point. And then once I know when things will be done by or, you know, and and, and even then it's kind of a push and pull between you want to set yourself something that is feasible and reasonable. But if you don't set yourself a little deadline, then you might not, you know, all parties might not be as motivated to meet that deadline. Um, So, yeah, from there, kind of set a reasonable deadline and then just try to see what else is going on in the world. Mm. Um, But that also has its own kind of duality because the quote-unquote good times of the year to release an album are very crowded, Um, especially on the Arrowhawk side. I'm often working, I'm almost always working with developing artists. Um, And so I don't necessarily want to put a developing artist up against the Sufians and and characters of the world. Yeah, right. Um, That's true. So sometimes in a way, you know, there, there's also a, a different side to like you. If you release something in November and December, your distributor hates you, but you might be one of the only releases that month. <laughs> yeah. So you know, yeah. it's it's so case by case. Sure, at least yeah. for me. Um. So the album. Let's go back to to the Ascension. So the album has not been announced. Nobody really knows. There's a, a new record in the can, and we're in February now. The release date is is picked. Um. Tell me, at what point um, did the pandemic and the shutdown appear on your radar and really start to impact the album's release plan? Yeah. Um, if you can remember back that far. <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah, six years ago. Decades ago. <laughs> pandemic time. Decades ago. So, I we didn't announce until... Uh, I believe it was mid-June, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I think pretty early on, it I mean, it lockdown, that, especially that initial lockdown, which everybody remembers, was just a little bit of a free-for-all. It had that kind of feeling, for me anyway, of, of 9-11, just kind of, what is happening? Yeah. And nobody really knows, and, and um, everybody is you know, going to buy toilet paper, uh that that's when we were doing the planning for everything and it was as was really the whole process almost an entirely day-by-day evaluation Mm. uh right at the start it seemed like vinyl which is really a driving force in timelines these days was on hold or maybe not but then maybe because nobody was ordering anything so at the beginning anyway we were still going to press it, uh, but we did decrease numbers. And, and that even showed in, in the fact that America, which was a 12-inch single, we only pressed 1,000. And a lot of that was due to limitations of staffing at pressing plants, but also expectations of sales. Mm. And, and so some of that got baked into stone because it was that, that first couple of weeks of where, where we were all justifiably freaking out a little bit. I see. Yeah. 
uh, Alyssa, with your label and with the projects you've been working on this year, what was the has the experience of the pandemic been like for you when it comes to releasing and promoting records? Yeah, um, you know, we had Jeffrey Silverstein release an album and Nana Grizzle from here in Athens, Georgia. And, you know, both artists um, absolutely had tours canceled. Mm. We had to try to think of maybe creative ways that we could keep things going, whether that's releasing, you know, a short EP a couple months after or announcing new merch or... yeah releasing a remix. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially like Nana Grizzle in particular, they were planning to tour for three months after their album. Oh, man. Um, and, you know, the front person of that band is a professor, so could really only tour during the summer. <laughs> right. you know, um, it was, you know, uh. specific constraints. Um, but, you know, as a whole, I think I really found that like, in the situation of Jeffrey Silverstein's album, we got so much feedback from people that, we're basically saying like, wow, this is really a calming record and this is such a balm during such a time of anxiety. Right. And so while, while we never could have planned it, the timing of that release felt really right mm. based on the feedback that we got from fans. And and same with Nana Grizzle's album. You know, so many fans were basically like, I'm so looking forward to having a nice piece of mail yeah, <laughs> come from here. Right. Or, or to, looking forward to having something to look forward to. So... Yeah, there was this. Yeah. There was this window, um, like kind of right, uh, you know, maybe a month after lockdown, where people started to crave um, music as a as a comforting tool. I now we're talking in the fall of 2020, so the um, at the end of the year, is there fatigue with listeners, or or is there fatigue with the press? I mean, I spoke with a distributor last week who was telling me that releases are through the roof. Everyone has been extremely productive during this time. Is that causing any sort of challenges for publicists? I mean, the the biggest thing I noticed is there were a lot of media layoffs, and so mm. on my end, I feel like the the total pool of possible opportunities is smaller. Um, especially also just considering, um, you know, you used to be able to invite people to shows mm. or, you know, invite someone to do an interview as a show preview at a regional publication. Um, that That's a big hit because an artist used to be able to get regional press in many different markets by touring. Mm. Um, and now if they're not touring, right. they only really have a local angle in the place that they are from. Right. Um, Good point. But, but yeah, I mean, I can even I feel like I even noticed a difference. Countries that maybe handled COVID a little more quickly and efficiently seem to <laughs> be having a lot better music press outcomes than here when a lot of folks got laid off. You right, know? right. Interesting. So I don't know if it's so much fatigue as much as, um, you know, I feel like everybody's kind of scrambling and doing their best a little bit. Yeah, just surviving. Yeah, no, that's a good point. There, um, there was, I do think there was a little bit of a bottleneck because initially in March, a lot of people did put releases on hold. Well, yeah. And then mm -hmm. everyone sort of, like I, I remember definitely with my schedule, I got started getting emails from people being like, okay, we're announcing next week. And I was like, wait, I thought, <laughs> I, thought I was, I thought I was on hold until next year. You, you need next week. <laughs> oh man. It's such a, 
hindsight is twenty twenty now that we look back and say, okay, this month was good for releasing, this month was bad for releasing. Yeah. I want to I want to ask, like, from the label perspective, there's a lot. There was a lot of mainstream artists, like you mentioned, Alyssa, who made th- these last minute decisions for better or for worse, to move their records. I think of The Killers, move their records, Lady Gaga, Haim, Weezer. This must have been a moving target for um, for this Sufian record as the shutdown and the status of the pandemic was so fluid back then at, at the midway point of 2020. Can you walk us through, John, that, that process of um, you had the release date and then um, you, you manufacturing was a concern, but then... Uh, at what like what was the decision process? Okay, when are we going to announce this uh, record and, and commit to releasing this record? Yeah. So there was some internal conversation about, especially in those first few weeks. So let's just call it. Um, you know, it's it's important to contextualize that. Like a lot of our community, the music community, it is in New York City, in Brooklyn, and you would say, hey how's it going? <laughs> and you hear like, I don't know, all I hear are uh, ambulances and cooler trucks that yeah, I think are driving right. bodies around, right? right? So there's definitely this sense of, we moved into a stage where, you know, I hate this phrase, but it's like the new normal. Just meaning like, yeah. we've adjusted, we have a clear understanding of what COVID is. But in those first few weeks, it was it was intense for all of us and especially for people that were in New York city. So there was some talk, like, should we release it right now? <laughs> like, yeah. should we drop the record? And, oh, interesting. and you know, yeah. uh, there was some talk about how to release it and when to release it. And, and all that was like, everything was up in the air. And at some point that conversation refined itself and we ended in the same place we began, which was let's just stick to the plan. Okay. We were always going to do this on this day. And if we act reactively, uh, we're we're letting other circumstances guide us. And and we had to be fluid, of course. And everything, as I'm sure we'll talk about, was a day-to-day, minute-to-minute decision down to tweets. You know, should we tweet this out today? Hmm. What's happening today? What's the context to when are we going to release this out? we decided early on that we would try and do as much as we could as quickly as possible without compromising quality or vision, but that everything would be fluid and we could always reassess everything up until a certain point. I mean, once you announce. Yeah. Um, so, so that was always the plan. That's not how it worked out. Like the goal was to have almost all of our assets done very early, but that's just, that was wishful thinking and it was good to work towards that, but it just meant everything came in on time <laughs> a little bit and even a little bit over, t- over time. Right, yeah, right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, everything was up for grabs all the time, but in the end and throughout where the kind of guiding light was, let's just stick to the plan. It's interesting how you say that you weren't, you know, you weren't able to, um, you had to make last minute decisions uh, uh, on the day of, of things, because what was interesting about 2020 was that, um, not, you know, the pandemic was this global thing, but then for America, there was a lot of social justice issues and there was a lot of uh, political, um, conversations happening. And, uh, so it's really interesting to me about how you really have to wake up in the morning and lick your finger, put it up in the air and figure out if it's appropriate to say something. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I want to, I want to ask the segue, do 
Do either of you have any lessons or takeaways from the pandemic when it comes to releasing records in the future when hopefully this uh, is uh, healed? Um, do, do you have any lessons you can apply to, f- to future non-pandemic releases? Well, uh, Alyssa, I, I don't want to interrupt if yeah. you're saying something. Um, I actually, you know, in thinking about a lot of the racial sensitivity, uh, let me just be blunt for a second. We've kind of moved past that. And by move past that, I mean, that's not a good thing. I think mm. that that kind of daily evaluation of where everyone is at is actually should be part of our recurring process, mm. right? So um, what are we doing? How are we saying it? Are, are we adding anything to the conversation right now or are we just adding noise? And, and those were eminent questions on certain days, but I think those should be eminent questions all the time. Mm. And I think that we should always be keeping, of course, our eyes on uh, racial and economic justice and identity, sexual identity justice issues. And, and so um, we don't release our records in a vacuum. So that should be a recurring conversation. Mm. So in terms of releasing records, what have we learned? I would say just being more sensitive to, to these issues without being special or, or particular about it, but sure. rather accepting we all live in a community and we have an obligation with a platform to, to do the right thing at the right time and, and read the room. Yeah, I think to tack on to that, you know, reading the room was the phrase that I definitely had in mind. I also, I also handled social media for Smithsonian Folkways record label mm. and you know, there are a lot of, you you do your content planning for the month and for the week, but especially this year, there was, there was absolutely a lot of, you know, waking up in the morning and being like, what do you guys think? I don't think this is the day for <sighs> yeah. us to be like, buy this, buy that. And, um, well, I don't necessarily have like the perfect go-to evaluation guide. I think something we also saw this year was people being like, ah, feels like a weird time to sell my album. Maybe I'll just post my album and be like, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Right. And that's not really a meaningful way to read the room and mm. evaluate your own role and stuff if you're just like, well, I'm just going to keep doing whatever I plan to do and throw a hashtag on. Sure. Um, like, I, I guess this is just a really interesting year of kind of evaluating optics and yeah. just kind of sitting back a little bit as an observer and um you know i feel like we got a lot of what to do and what not to do yeah. <laughs> examples um but yeah really reading the room every day you know it's not every day is a good day to be selling yeah and- yeah that's uh, no it's totally true and it's tough and it's tough because that's you know for some of us that's a big part of our job and um and you know it's uh, it's about the for some, for some of us, it's for the sustainability of artists and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it has been a really good learning lesson, I think. And I, I like what you both have said. It, it, it's, it's something we can take with us into the future for every day. Can I add uh, to that a little bit? Please. I, I think that uh, if everything went back to normal after the pandemic, then we will have lost a major opportunity. So obviously mm. everything's upheaved, but... Uh, this is a really good opportunity for people to sit down and redo everything, <laughs> like really question uh, every piece of the step. Like, should we be releasing vinyl? That, you know, that's a great question. Uh, mm. Should we be tweeting out 
and Instagramming and engaging with these social platforms, I think um, there's a good, and I can't remember the strategic planner or the celebrity that said this or whatever, but the, the question shouldn't be, should we do this? It should be, why, sh- you know, shouldn't we not do this? And if you can come up with a reason to not do it, maybe that's a good reason to not do it. So, <laughs> yeah. so we kind of reevaluate every step of the process and question, is it worth doing? Should we really be doing that? And this is a really good opportunity to do that. It's certainly happening in touring. Mm. Who knows what that will look like. But all the other things, promotion, manufacturing, even the way music is recorded and collaborated on, this is an opportunity to reevaluate that and come up with something different. If we don't, and everything looks the same in a year, um, that's a we'll great- miss some opportunities to address equity and inclusion and Absolutely. Um, environmental impact. And so that's, I don't know, that's kind of what I'm hoping is once the industry, I don't know, I'm just hoping there's a reworking of, of the industry and how it works. And Yeah. I, yeah. That's a great point. I mean, we saw like one one good example of that is I don't I don't want to step into too much controversy, but the Burger Records stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the the Burger Records is not an anomaly. Like the 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 equity and inclusion needs to be fundamentally part of the way that we release music and do business, and it's not. It really mm-hmm. isn't. Mm-hmm. And so this is an opportunity to rethink that. And once we get more voices in the room. Uh, I think we'll see a different kind of industry that's more humane and more equitable and more inclusive. And those just aren't words. Those have real business implications. Mm. We should do it because it's right. But I think when we include more people, it profits everybody, both figuratively and Mm. metaphorically. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of tack onto that, like, you know, something that I really hope people come away from this year with um, is, is I feel like, I feel like I witnessed a lot and, and and definitely caught it in my own thoughts. A lot of moments where you're like, oh, should I post this or is that a bad look? Should I do this right now or yeah. is that a bad look or will people jump all Ooh. over me? And like, those aren't really the questions we should be asking as much as going deeper to like, like it, it shouldn't just be like, will it look bad if I sell my record right, right now? Like there, right. Should, there should be deeper questions being asked just kind of about your whole role in everything totally um beyond like will people like me if i do this Mm, that's a great point yeah Yeah. i think that it's inevitable that there are going to be changes that come from this and and uh i just yeah i'm i'm very interested i mean we can we can look at the changes that came from 9-11 good or bad but i think it may take five or ten years for to say oh wow you know like telecommuting became the norm at that point or you know um family interactions got better at that time. Mm. Who knows? You know, I I think it's uh, be very interesting. And I love what you do, Scott, as a practice is just outsourcing a lot of how the process works and opening the doors. And and I've been um, talking to several artists over the last few months and and trying to make myself more available as a uh, middle-aged, middle-class, cis, white, straight guy. I have a lot of cumulative knowledge and, and I hope that isn't, um, too haughty to say, but but I think my obligation is outsourcing that knowledge and then letting other people undo it all. Sure. <laughs> and I think sometimes in order to redo something, you have to understand the mechanics, take it apart, and then you can rebuild it. And I think we're at that stage, Scott, where a lot of us have the responsibility to to not like pass on what we've learned in a kind of Yoda paternalistic sense, but in a like 
okay, this was our version and it kind of sucked in a lot of ways and it's <laughs> time for you to really make it better and I'm wanting to absolutely. live in that world. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I appreciate about a lot of what you do, Scott, is is just open sourcing it, opening up the door on processes that are often obfuscated or relegated to mm. uh, straight white male networks. And right. so right. I love that you, oh, you, great. You're, you're part of that. Thanks, John. Were there things you, you couldn't accomplish for this release because of the pandemic or for some other reason, like a, a flash mob in Times Square or something? <laughs> huh. So that's a yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing like a soof mob. Alyssa, <laughs> uh, you can answer first. I'm going to kind of think. If, if in I'm, anything, yeah, in any project. I'm a bit stumped. <laughs> yeah. I mean... You know, at the very start, Sufian said, and he said this publicly, so this isn't new information to anyone, but he, he, uh, there was never a tour plan for this. Interesting. And that was decided early on. Uh, That's true. So, Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's wow. totally true. He was not going to tour. And so even if there was ever a pandemic, unless something would have changed, um, and it does sometimes, mm-hmm. but the original intent was, was not to have a touring aspect of this. So... That pushed us into, quite coincidentally, into how do we how do we promote this without a tour? Because that tour is a really important piece. But I wouldn't say that anything came or went because of the pandemic. But it certainly changed the way we, for example, did music videos. I mean, the one that we did with 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 Nicole and Jalea for the song "Video Game" mm-hmm. that was all socially distanced. We had PPE oh, cool. experts. On site, and the same with the video for Sugar. Uh, there were some aspects of it where everybody kind of worked from home and, and contributed for FX out of the office. So the way that that happened was different. But I don't know that there's a single idea that we nixed because of the, the pandemic necessarily. Well, None that I, I could think of. Yeah, and it's going back to what we were talking about earlier. It really you realize how much we took for granted that you could. I, you could plan a year out and say, I want to release on this day, and then I want to go on tour, and I want to book this venue for this day. And we could do that with no fear. But boy, I feel like moving forward, I think every release that I'm going to work on is going to have some sort of parachute attached to it. Yeah. Um, sure. What does the album announcement day look like for you guys? Uh, how do you prepare for that? To me, that's a bigger day than release day. Fans start to go nuts. It's certainly the most magnetic day of the campaign when you uh, allow the press to make the announcement or, or or the artist makes the announcement. Can you walk us through that moment? Yeah. Um, you know, I think you have, I often look at milestones in a, in a, in an album cycle, there are things you can control and things you can't. And the release dates, the big one and the announced date is the other one. Okay. And those are the two after that, the album's out and you really have to work very hard to get interest in something or, or that kind of, you know, the, as the, as the old style and in some bigger releases, it still works this way, but you release a record and then there's singles you work and that's mm-hmm. all been inverted over the years because of streaming. And now, even just for the pragmatics of Spotify pitching, you can drop a record, but in terms of playlisting, unless you're Taylor Swift or Cardi B or uh, that tier, 
your playlist pitching is done, right? You, sure. you can try, but it's much harder to do that. So yeah, I would say the announce is one of those major milestones that you get to control and set. And it was pretty important for us too. Uh, we, we did it at the end of June and, um, was it, was that fluid? Were you, or was that yeah. set in stone? Let me, let me pull up exactly when, uh, so I have the exact sure. date of when we announced, but it did move around a couple of times. And a lot of that was just getting assets ready and figuring out how everything should go. So it looks like, yeah, we announced on June 30th. Oh, and I think originally our plan had been to announce that a little earlier. Okay. Uh, and then, I don't know, Alyssa, do you remember, why did we push it back a little bit? I think it was just getting everything together just didn't happen as quickly as we wanted it to. Yeah, I feel like we were maybe waiting on some co components. Um and I feel like now I'm also a little bit kind of lost in thought over here because I was thinking about what you said, Scott, about announce date being bigger than release date. And I almost feel like you need to almost have opposite approaches, whether you have an established artist like Sukin sure. or a developing artist. Sure. Because um, sometimes with a developing artist on announce date, you're like, guess what? And people are like... <laughs> Who? <laughs> yes, I, 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 you're right. You're right. I should have clarified that. You're right. <laughs> That's a good point. So ideally, the fans go wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. There is not all oh, of us ahead, have Scott. subreddits attached to our artists. <laughs> yeah. we, we have we, a pyramid and an inverted pyramid, depending <laughs> on the. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I think that they're with an artist like Sufian, but I think this would be true for. Really, anyone that has a certain group of people that are excited about the record, whether they have a subreddit or not, there's always a few people that are going to be excited about any artist, right? Mm. There's always, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, yeah. And I think that expectations, so, I don't know, there's this study that was done, and they looked at people who were younger, who turned in the same resume as people that were older, who turned in the same resume. And, of course, the people that were younger the HR uh, and recruiters are like, oh, this person is definitely a way better fit. And there's something about potential. I, I, I call it the Superman effect. Like the trailer for that Zack Snyder Superman movie is so good. Like I saw that trailer and I was like, this is going to be the best fucking movie ever. <laughs> and of course it wasn't. It was such a disappointment. And there's a way that imagination can play in that's helpful for an album cycle. But there's also, particularly with this kind of record where it's not, Carrie and Lowell part two, mm -hmm. it's very different. I think it actually is closer to it than people seem to have heard, but, <laughs> but there was a lot of conversation around expectations and, and what people wanted to hear from a Sufian record versus what they were going to get. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so the announce is, is tricky in that respect where you get a lot of extra points and you can milk, expectation and anticipation and imagination a lot of ways, but it can work against you too. Uh, so it's very important. I think this, the announce should not be hype. It should be setting expectations. It should be the first reveal and it should frame the record because you don't get a second announce. There's only, yes. there's only one. So. Uh, Alyssa, like, uh, you know, thank you for, for holding me accountable there. What does a release date look like for a, a an artist who isn't um, massive? I, I feel like 
for for me, a release date can matter. Sorry, more. an announced date. I'm sorry, I oh, said no, the wrong no, word again. Yeah, I'm getting. Yeah, fired. you know, I, I think it's it's so much of an introduction. It's, right. It's really, um, you know, introducing anyone in your sphere to this artist, and so much of the prep work is trying to figure out, like, okay, who is already aware of this artist? Let's make sure we really nurture them. Right. Um. You know, let, let's try to figure out maybe some way that existing fans or people who bought albums in the past feel like they get some kind of jump or lead on the news. Um, maybe it's early access to something. And then for everyone else, uh, it's a lot more of like an education effort. Mm. No, that's a good point. I read this term. I'm obsessed with this term called market sophistication that I read in a book just this summer. And it was this idea of how sophisticated is your market? How Have they heard about the product you're trying to sell to them? And if you're selling a refrigerator, no, you know, everyone knows what that is and, and nobody's going to get excited. If you're selling refrigerator with a, you know, an, a, a big screen TV on the front of it, that may get a little more interest because that's novel and and i've been thinking a lot about it from the perspective of us releasing records when we say that we have an artist with a new single out i mean that just doesn't give anybody goosebumps um because they're sophisticated we we seeing somebody release a rock band releasing a record is is not news anymore um I find that to be a huge struggle now when when we're announcing records or we're even releasing records or singles. Do you do you find that? Like, uh, could you clarify that question a little bit, Scott? Good, so- yeah, good. Well, I mean, maybe more a question for Alyssa because we're talking about you know um, non uh, Sufian level right. artists. But yeah. I mean, how do you how do you get people excited for something they've never heard? Yeah, uh, I think narrative is really important. I, I think narrative is your your best friend in that situation mm. because you know I think I think you maybe mentioned something to the effect of like how do we make an album announcement news, um, and that's a really good point because if there isn't already notoriety or following, um, so and so released an album can sometimes be met with like cool. So did you know thirty other people this week? Um, what's <laughs> yeah. different? Yeah, and that's so. Right. You know, being able to have some kind of narrative that figures out, like, I I taught music publicity and promotion at UGA for five years and would often lean back on, like, you really need to make sure any of your written materials very quickly get to the point of, like, why should I care? Yeah. Like, people are pressed for time. People are, I mean, geez, we open our phones, we open our inboxes, and there's just so many, so many messages being thrown at us constantly. So if you can really quickly somehow like quickly but elegantly answer why should i care yeah that's going to take you really far sure um i want to ask you guys about pre-release singles john you touched on it a little bit and by the way i I should have said this at the beginning and i'm going to say this again when we when we get off the air but the album is fantastic i really want this episode to be uh, applicable to people who aren't fans or, or aren't familiar with Sufian's work or with this particular record. But this record, The Ascension, is absolutely brilliant. I, I love it so much. You guys did such a great job on it. Um, my kids yeah. love the song video game. They don't get it, but I, I don't get it. But <laughs> I love it. It's it's such a beautiful record. I'm a huge fan of Age of Odds, and this feels like a nice, uh, a, a very beautiful continuation of that. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there. Oh, thanks, Scott. That's really kind. Yeah, we love it too. So much is 
going to be prejudged about the record when you release a single, especially um, when uh, an artist brings uh, this, you know, a, a previous sound with them. Um, it, it, as you were, as you were sort of mentioning, you picked a song called "America" that's twelve minutes um, and pretty intense as as the as the lead off single, and then I think the follow up was is like a four minute pop song called "Video Game." Was that dichotomy intentional? Like, what were your thoughts uh, when it comes to to singles at that point? So we kind of, we took a poll. Uh, so, you know, here's the thing about working with Sufian is that he has great instincts. Uh, so I think that almost every single here was his idea. Um, and opening with America was definitely his idea. And making sure the video game was one of the singles was one of those ideas as well. And I'm not sure that I would have done that if it were totally up to me. <laughs> but as we polled people you know, our fellow distributors, um, you know, radio, everybody had a different opinion about what the first single should be. <laughs> like, <laughs> our Shill uh, at Tiger Bomb, who does radio, he was like, oh, Landslide is it, like 10 seconds in into hearing the song, and that was his. Um, and someone else might say video game, and someone else might say, tell me you love me. I mean, it was just... Yeah. So... It, I think some of the play and the flexibility came in and including sugar, but otherwise I think every single was Sufian's idea. And I think, you know, I'm reading into that. I don't have any inner knowledge on, on why that is, but I think that America and video game form the two, like these three singles kind of form a good triangulation of what the record sounds like. And, it is and every other song falls somewhere in that triangle in terms of style, intensity, yes. You know, video game is probably the most simplest and, and lyrically and, and the poppiest. And America is big and ambitious and intense. And I noticed some of the comments online were kind of like, wow, it's kind of dumb to release the last song that's 12 minutes. But when you own your own label, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right? right. And so... Uh, so I, I think there's a really real value to that in defying you know, had a traditionally run campaign been applied to this record uh, or album cycle, you know, campaign is an interesting word, um, album cycle, mm. it probably would have been Tell Me You Love Me, Run Away With Me, and I don't know, Alyssa, like uh, maybe Ursa Major or Landslide yeah. or Make Me An Offer. Like just kind of, you do a poll and whatever rises at the top, that's what you throw out there. But yeah. yeah. Um, I think artistically speaking, it was important to triangulate this record within those three songs. Well, that's a, that's actually a really good point, and I think it's very applicable to anybody listening, um, any release in any genre, to, um, as you say, triangulate, where y you really have both ends of the spectrum represented in those two first singles, and then Sugar is is the hybrid. It's beautiful, yeah. but it's also ambitious and long as well. But it's a very, very beautiful track. And so... Yeah. Um, that's a I, that's a really great takeaway for me is to kind of represent um, the album appropriately. Yeah, we had it. We had. I mean, obviously, one of the challenges here was that probably the largest slice of the pie chart of Sufian's listeners and fan base have come to him. There, there's kind of that initial run of listeners from the state cycles from Illinois mm -hmm. and Michigan and odds. Maybe and then probably the largest chunk is people that came to Sufian through Carrie and Lowell and even maybe larger uh, Mystery of Love and so 
because those two groupings, Carrie and Lowell and Mystery of Love and Visions of Gideon, fall roughly within the same aesthetic and style. Yeah. Uh, we knew there were going to be a lot of people that would hear this record and be like, what the fuck? I just yes. want to sit and cry. But this is not a... <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even saw on release day or the day before, people like, Sufi's coming out tomorrow, I'm ready to, to curl up in a fetal <laughs> position and cry. And this is not that record. Yeah. This is the get the fuck up, yeah. get out and fix the problem. Yeah. You are personally responsible for the corporate problems. Yeah. And I think that in terms of reception, that might, I'm going a little... Um, maybe ahead of ourselves, but I think that threw people for a loop. And there's a part of us right now that does want to be coddled and cared for, yeah, right. and some of that is valid and good. And then some of that is like, okay, yes, you need to self care, you need to take care of the people around you, but also we got to fix this shit. Like stuff is on fire, and we need to act versus mm. uh, paralysis. So. And we can get into the broader, uh, well, you know uh, what? genderized Look, aspects of, of sadness and men and vulnerability and how that saying that excludes women from certain emotional responses, but maybe that's a, another podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I want to jump, I want to go back to that in a, in a couple of minutes. Cause I do want to ask you about how you would, um, communicate the artist's theme of the record to the to the masses but but first i want i do want to just as we're as we were talking about pre-release singles Alyssa, what role do pre-release singles play today for for the average artist in the streaming world because you know we may not be trying to get radio play in the traditional sense necessarily um, although some of us may earn income from good playlist placement how do you guys view the role of of pre-release singles Ah, so I, I was I was actually taking some notes, thinking about this because okay. often um, I'm, I'm glad that you said in the streaming world in particular because often when I am working on the publicity side, I will have input in what singles will be, and something that I find sometimes is the song that might artistically be the deepest and have the most impactful things to say about it that might really resonate with press the most could be your 12 minute slower song. Right. And then the song that's like poppy and upbeat and two and a half minutes. <sighs> um, it might not have as much for journalists to really like great point dive into and write about, which, which is not to say that pop is not deep because pop is totally deep <laughs> and impactful and culturally meaningful. Um, but I often find, you know, the songs where you're just like, wow, artistically, this is, you could have a field day dissecting this song might not be what a distributor would say, like, oh, we can totally pitch this to indie and chill for studying. Yeah, yeah. A, your favorite yeah. coffee house. Yeah. Your favorite coffee house. Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's hard choosing singles. And I think for me, a lot of times it goes back to kind of like how John said, you know, when, when you run your own label, you can do what artistically feels right. Because um, to me, the singles serve to get someone excited about an album and also preview the album. Like, I, I like to make sure that single choice is indicative of what you will get on the album. Mm. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I... I I guys, I I don't want to take too much time here, but I, I just have a, a few more questions. 
uh, can we just ask, I want to ask you about artwork and the the assembly, John. Um, at what point in our timeline? Because I really do want this to be practical for people. But at what point in our timeline would artwork be assembled? And can you talk us through that manufacturing responsibilities and challenges? Yeah. Uh, so Stephen did all the artwork on this from uh, illustration to layout, and that's not uncommon with Sufian. Uh, he, he's a graphic designer by trade and in mm. another alternate universe, uh, maybe there's an alternate universe. Sufian's still doing graphic <laughs> yeah. design as That's a right. profession versus, sure. you know, this is part of his profession, but, yeah. um, and, and we're actually really excited to, uh, we've tried very difficult to, well, not dif- difficult. We've tried hard to emphasize the design and the feel. So one aspect of that process is, is that the clear edition has it, we pressed it and packaged it into a tip-on jacket and that was important to Sufian and it's important to us in terms of making the, the product feel right mm-hmm. um, so with that in mind though like anytime you veer from the norm things take more time and more money and that was definitely the case with a lot of this and and one of the printers had a COVID outbreak and had to shut down for a while. So there were a lot of, everything would have shown up really early if it wasn't for the pandemic and everything showed up a little late. And as a result, we had to push back the release date a week. So yeah, which is um, not a big deal though, really. I mean, it's not ideal, but that's pretty good considering. Yeah. And even then we were late due to like, there's, there's still product making its way out there. Okay. uh, Even now. And, And part of that is just because, it was just crazy. Like everything that went wrong went wrong, and it mm. wasn't always. You couldn't say, "Oh, that was COVID." But I, I think if you pulled the yarn on that, at some point there was a COVID-related reason for almost everything. I and see. part of it is just I don't know. We're all under so much stress. I think we're only performing at like <laughs> sixty to eighty percent, yeah. you know, because our mind and our emotional wherewithal is on something else and so yeah. that means that when the guy at the plan is writing down the address that the records are supposed to go to he mixes up the street address and the, tr- the truck wanders around for four hours before <laughs> they come back because the address isn't right, okay, right. Okay. so that's very gracious of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh I was maybe less gracious. Yeah, that's, that right. that's what had happened. <laughs> the truck driver's listening right now. He's like, <laughs> yeah, hanging in there. Well, that, that is part of it, is another piece that perhaps we can learn from having released a record in the pandemic is maybe the same graciousness that we're allocating to other people under a pandemic. We should be offering that most of the time. And it's not to say that we don't hold each yeah. other to expectations, yeah. but uh, maybe a little more grace would go a long mm-hmm. way in post-pandemic whenever that happens sure so. um well the 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 packaging looks great oh you know i was thinking the other day i was um i was listening to the record and and i find the the manufacturing process to be um so intimidating because it's so permanent you know and and you get these these records come back from the plant and you just pray that you didn't make a mistake because you know on the online world you can change things but um I, I was curious about, like, you talked about right from the very beginning about how it's a long record, it's a double record. I mean, that's got to produce challenges for vinyl. I mean, what songs go on what sides? There, do you run in the risk of maybe having to uh, change the track listing because you're trying to fit a 12-minute song and a 7-minute song on the same side? I mean, uh, was that an issue, the audio? Uh 
I mean, if you go on, I, I love Discogs. I, I have a complicated relationship with my friends over on Discogs, which is the vinyl review. You know, people review the vinyl. They don't review the music necessarily. They're oh, like, I see. This vinyl's great. This vinyl should be burned in a fire. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are the, two, the yeah. two options, I think. You know, a lot of those folks have said, well, why didn't you press this to three LPs? It would have sounded so much better. But right. As you well know, there are real-world financial implications to totally. that kind of, like, I wish a unicorn would jump out and play a song for me. Like, that's yeah, cool. That's great. Like, yes, we could have done that. And also, we, we've already, I, when we went into this knowing it was a double LP, there are implications. For example, Carrie and Lowell was an inexpensive record. It didn't have a ton of packaging. We pressed a shit ton of it. Uh-huh. And so we were able to get it priced very low, which meant that we could price it low at wholesale, which meant retail. This was almost like a next to the gum at the checkout kind of decision for a lot of people, <laughs> right? Because it was one of the least expensive records on the record shelves in 2015. So people, there's less risk associated with picking it up. And I think as a result, lots of people bought that record. Sure, That's not going to happen with this one. It costs $30 or more due to all the inclusion pieces, but they're important to the artistic vision of the record. So yeah. So those kinds of considerations work their way in. And in this particular case, uh, we started everything as early as possible and it was still late. And so it was pretty nerve wracking. I mean, there were a lot, there was a lot of lost sleep on my end from when things would show up and, and when they weren't. And there was nothing we could have done differently. Yeah. Um, maybe push the release date back to next year, but that we don't want to do that either. So there was no, yeah, there was definitely. Do you think it would have been like not, not including the pandemic? Do you think it would have been better to have the masters earlier than February? Or do you think under normal circumstances that would have been enough time? Yeah, I think if there had not been a pandemic, everything would have shown up way earlier. There's no doubt about that. Uh, I mean, our press, our print was delayed because of COVID and they had to shut down the plant. Um, PVC, like it really was Murphy's law having a real run with us. Like mm-hmm. they ran out of PVC pellets and they're out of stock. And, and you see that cascading in a lot of other industries as well. Like good luck buying furniture. Like you go to Ikea yeah. and the place half empty and you can buy fake plants and a hot dog and that's about it. <laughs> you know, yeah, you can't, buy, you can't buy a desk. Yeah. Yeah, you just, there are real world implications to every step of all manufacturing, no matter what you're buying. Mm. So, yeah. When does the PR process uh, really start heating up? When when would you send the album to press outlets and and start setting up interviews? Um, uh, How many weeks back from from a release date, approximately? Like normally or or here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, explain. Well, I think normally the album cycle is depending on the... Re- well, Alyssa, you could speak to this, of course, way better than I could as a publicist. Um, yeah, I mean, normally in a in a perfect world, I'd get a five to six month jump on starting to seed the album out to some key press. Wow. And then, um, you know, on announce day, which would probably be more like three months before album release, then... I would be sending albums to kind of like longer lead folks, um, you know, individuals at larger publications, the, you know, the the folks that are already emailing me saying like, Hey, I need to know what you have coming out in February. Um, but this was, and and then regarding, um, 
interviews. Ideally, I love for feature interviews to land closer to release date. So you do have to set them up way in advance. Um, but this was a little bit of a separate situation with Sufian because nobody really wanted to just like, you know, send out watermarked promos with like a fire hydrant <laughs> blast <laughs> style, you know. This was a little more locked down. Sure, yeah. Which I'll, I'll let John speak to. Yeah, I think during the, well, so with the Sufian release, we worked really hard to not let it leak early. And I don't have like a huge issue with leaks, uh, really. Um, back with Kerry and Mole, we went on torrent sites and commented, you know, hey, it's great that you're getting this. We're really appreciative yeah, of fans of any right. kind. And yeah. Yeah. So that would have happened here too. It's not the end of the world. At the same time, um, we didn't, it didn't leak. Like, yeah, I don't know how. <laughs> I think part of it is just the CDs were late. So the CDs are often the usual source of leaks. Um, so we were a little close to the chest on this one. And part of it with a Sufi record is everybody and their dog wants to hear the record. Um, we had a couple instances where some, a couple people hit us up early and uh it's not like they just really wanted to hear it early, yeah. <laughs> which I get, right, right? Right. But they didn't really follow through on reviewing or executing on some of the things that we talked to them about. Um, so the way that it worked this time is we kept things pretty close to the chest until about a month and a half up to leading up to release. I so see. I see. And there are tears too. Like if you run an Instagram channel, uh, an Instagram account and you have one post and you started it two weeks ago and you email in and like, Hey, I want to review this record. Yeah. You're, I mean, I, we are big supporters of I get up and coming, yeah. <laughs> but you're not going to get the record. <laughs> sure. So I think there were maybe, I don't know, Alyssa, if, if you can recall, maybe a handful, like you could probably count them on three hands <laughs> who got yeah, it yeah. prior yeah. to that six sure. weeks. And then after that, it was like, okay, we really need to push this out and, and do it. And, um, it also depends too on like, are they writing a feature? So someone that's writing a feature is going to absolutely need the record to be able to talk about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that and, and definitely press wise. And I think when to answer the question of when, when it comes to sending out private promos, there's such a wide scale of like, as a publicist, are you more on the end of being like, hey, I know you haven't heard of this, but please care, please care. Yeah. I'm begging you to care. Or are you on the other end of the spectrum that's like, I know you know who this is. <laughs> I, I still really want you to care, but I don't, I'm not so much in the begging you to care. <laughs> yeah. that, man, yeah. that must feel really different. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you could, next time you're promoting a Sufian record, just bundle in and other records you want that person to listen to at oh, the same yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> you have to listen to these two first. It's <laughs> yeah. a good idea, Scott. <laughs> uh, like like previews that run before a movie? That's right. They're <laughs> <Yeah>. trailers. <laughs> um, what about release week? Is there any strategy that you try to implement on the last few days? I, I, I always think it's funny when a single comes out two days before an album drops. I'm just ready to hear the record. Well, what does release week look like for you guys? I'm thinking about an answer to that. Um, Take your time. 
Yeah, in this case, it was kind of easy because a lot of our press hit that week of. So we had one or two big uh, interviews occur prior, but most of the interviews and reviews landed in release week. So mm. there's also a bit of it where, at least with the inner circle of fans, the most dedicated Sufian fans, if it had leaked, they would have heard it earlier. And they're kind of, as music fans used to, downloading you know, finding and downloading records prior to them coming out on streaming. And uh, they didn't have that this time. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them were a little perturbed that all these publicists were, or all these um, journalists were hearing the record early and they weren't. Right. um, But yeah, yeah. yeah, we had talked about releasing a song that week and I don't know, we ended up scrapping it. It would have needed a lot more work and, and it just... It's funny because there were a lot of de- discussions about deviations to the plan that ended up happening. And basically the plan happened the way we talked about it. Yeah. Well, that's really part. nice. So, so release week is always fun to me. You get to see people reviewing it and get angry at the reviews or not angry. Or um, I think at that point you couldn't convert into like celebration mode. And sure. I, I mean that in a most professional sense where you're acting as you know, we've talked about this before, Scott, but, but my job as head of the label in some ways is to be head fan, like the most dedicated <laughs> wow, yeah, number one fan out there of the artists and the records that we're releasing. And if we're not, we shouldn't be releasing that record. And so I feel that in anticipation with the, with people that haven't heard the record, they're just this kind of like night before Christmas, you know, <laughs> if you have kids where you're just yeah. like so excited for yeah. them to hear it and to experience it like you have so many times. So I just try and live that out on this on my sleeve and celebrate it and and kind of jump around with everyone else that the record's coming out and when it does, living in that moment with them and and it's it's always to me a release week is is really fun and it was busy this year but it's still a really fun release week. days are on Fridays at the time of recording this. Do you guys? like that as a release day <laughs> it, it seems like such a hectic day to ask for people's attention i really miss tuesdays but do you, do i miss tuesdays too yeah. Huh? Yeah. especially you know in the summer i really noticed like a lot of people are out of office on a yeah. summer friday totally. and so- yeah oh it's crazy uh, you know, let's talk the last question. Post-release strategies has been a huge topic in our, our label community because release day can seem like the day the album begins this descent into the abyss. Like it's really, it's like the day the album dies really for, for unfortunately for a lot of us. Um, and, and, and which is a shame really, because this record in particular, and, and I, and I didn't want to camp out too much on the music but um for me the first couple of listens was like it was lucky it was an artist that i loved because i was willing to invest in it and but the first couple of listens was a little bit jarring and and i I was a little confused and then maybe uh, about three days later it just it totally clicked for me but how do you guys promote a record um when the anticipation and that mystery is all gone what does the post-release strategy look like for you guys Ooh. Yeah, I uh, was both depressed and agreeing with you when you said it's the day the record dies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think, Scott, that we really, this, again, this gets back to my, my kind of thesis through this all, and that is, like, we have got to rethink, like, if we don't stop and take a minute to rethink every step of the process, we'll have missed a huge opportunity. And I think this is one example where uh, 
with all due respect to my friends at Spotify and Apple Music, streaming has made that reality possible where the album dies. And, and that's always been true. There's kind of, again, it speaks to the power of anticipation and imagination and the reality of the real thing. It's maybe the difference between, I don't know, like, I, I haven't had the pleasure of using dating apps, but it's kind of like the anticipation versus the reality sure. of the human being. You know? <laughs> okay. You don't look like Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's did, did somebody say that to you? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, my wife, every every day. <laughs> every day. She's, she's like, ah, oh, not married to Mark Ruffalo. You know, so I'm kind of just agreeing with you rather than solving okay. a problem. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> but I think it's really hard, and I, and I wish that we would, you know, I don't know. I, I, what I wish would happen is we could rethink that and maybe get back to enjoying the thing when it is the thing versus the thing that we think the thing is. And, and um, you know, we're struggling with that here too. Like, there's no tour. Uh we have a lot of ideas. Some of them are going to happen and some of them aren't. And some of them we want to happen and they may not. So, sure. but it's really hard because you lose the power potential. So I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't have, I think that you kind of have to, at that point, I don't know. So uh, one of the artists that's still kind of on our label, we really, uh, is my brightest diamond, AKA Sharon Nova. And she's, uh, uh, she's, moved onward and upward with her career from the label, but we're still dear friends and, and her, some of her releases are still in our catalog. And she had this thing that she used to say when we were talking through something and it was like, you practice as hard as you can up to the show, but whatever happens during the show is was always meant to happen. So, you know, someone's guitar strings break or their amp blows up or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or nobody's there or whatever happens on the show, you're not responsible for that. It's as long as you've done everything leading up to it, you can control that part. But what happens at the show is what was always meant to happen. And I think there's a bit of a release day where you're kind of letting your child, it's an empty nest syndrome kind of thing where like what happens now is kind of what was always supposed to happen. So if there's an organic groundswell of support because it gets in some TV show or there's like a, I hate this word, but there's a moment or whatever. Um, it goes viral or whatever. You know, sure. I can't control those things at this yeah. point. Um, I can try, but it's probably not going to work. And so oh, you okay. just kind of have to hope and pray, and whatever happens, happens. Alyssa, what are your thoughts on on after release day? It's, I have I have lots of thoughts about <laughs> it because um, you know. Something that is kind of interesting about how that's when, you know, we, we joke that that's when the album is about to die is I think that really centers um, retailers and media a lot more than it centers fans because mm. for a lot of fans, release day is also the first time that they get full access to the whole album. Sure. Um, so it's also when a lot of discourse can begin because suddenly the playing field is leveled and you know, it's it's really day one of a fan with all of the music. Um, so it, it is definitely one of the things I feel like start to get a lot more organic and out of your control, as, as John mentioned. Um, because from then, especially with like, especially with the developing artists, they might not get much press after release date, but some things might organically get spread around to people, mm. which 
I think can be where like a lot of magic happens. Totally. Yeah. I love that, Alyssa, because really up to the release date, you generally speak in control who's listening and who's not. Um, but after a lot of things happen that are invisible to us. So yes, we might see postings on social media, but you don't know who's listening to it, how they're experiencing it. You don't know who that person is. And that's kind of fun. Like, yeah. I think it's just an admission of the part of the process is like, we don't really control how this lives in the world and, and we can pretend for a while, but at, in the end, how it's perceived and what people think about it is up to them. And that's not my yeah. job to make them think or believe or hear it a certain way. Yeah. I know I mentioned earlier in the hour that um, Jeffrey Silverstein record that I put out on Arrowhawk earlier this year and I'd have to look back at my reports, but I almost feel like it got more press after release date than mm. before release date, which is kind of an anomaly um, because I think it just organically spread and people recommended it to a friend and people connected with it. And that was really, um, it was very heartening to see that because I guess I sort of have a little idealistic, like, I wish that's how music was. Like we all just share things with our friends and we <laughs> post about them and write about them because we like them and they are good. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember the artwork for that record actually. I remember I was just to- so taken by the by the look of everything. It was just so beautiful. Yeah, yeah it was it was very soothing to look at. Yes, it that's right. really matched the album. I I love what you said about centering around the fan after release as opposed to centering around uh the press and the media and I, I do think that's such a beautiful thing and I really try to think about how I, as a music fan, consume music and how music has impacted me. And and John, what you were saying about w- there's stuff that's happening uh, behind the scenes or invisible that we don't get to see. And it's like, you think of the records that have impacted me and how often do I email the artist or their manager and say, oh, by the way, this record's really important to me. It's very rarely, you know? <laughs> so it's just, there are times where you have these in- intimate connections with records three months or three years or 30 years after it comes out and nobody knows about it except you. Um, and, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it really is. I mean, that's really the point is the, the goal, the goal is not to sell records. I can't make that happen. I can't make people buy a record, but the goal for our campaigns at, at our label anyway, is to get it to people that would have wanted to hear it. Mm. And, mm-hmm. That's the most we can hope for. There are people that are going to hear this record and will wish they had not heard it. <laughs> and that's okay. Uh, taste is subjective. Sure, and sure. so so the goal is who else out there has not heard the record that would have really wanted to hear this record? And, and that's kind of the remaining... That's the question at the beginning of the campaign. That's the question that we try to let us anchor us during the campaign, um, during the cycle. And, and that's the question even after is, okay... Let's look out there and who has heard this record that would have really wanted to hear it and who hasn't. And how do we reach that person so they know about it and can make a decision about it if they want to. Guys, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a ton of fun. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, samesies. Thank you, Scott. I can't believe I just said the word samesies. Yeah, (laughs) samesies. Agreed. 
thank you so much for listening. I hope that you have found this helpful um, and informative for you and your releases and your label. And we addressed this issue about how not everything is totally applicable because we're not all releasing records that may be this hotly anticipated as this particular record. That's not the point of this series. The point of this series is for a little bit of behind the scenes so we can learn how the experts, quote unquote, do these big releases and, and how we can take some principles either literally or or just pieces of these principles that we learn from them and apply it to our own releases. Speaking of our own releases, if you are like me and want to get better at releasing music and giving ourselves lead time and planning and being strategic, then you can get a copy of our release roadmap, which is something that goes along with this series. It's a, it's a blank template that you can kind of Fill in the journey um, for your releases and make sure that you hit your mile markers in your key result areas. To get a free copy of this release roadmap, go to otherrecordlabels.com slash roadmap. I want to thank John and Alyssa and Asthmatic Kitty Records and Sufian Stevens for being a part of this show. We have another episode next week in this series coming up. I'm excited for you to hear it. Um, it's just such an honor to be able to pull back the curtain and to hear how uh, the albums that we love and admire are released um, and how we can learn from them. So I want to thank them for being a part of the show and thank you for listening. Please subscribe, leave a review and share the show and visit our website, otherrecordlabels.com for resources for indie labels. Thanks for listening.